welcome back to the Game Pit. This is episode 112, and Ronan, it's our big review of 2017, finally. We had a task undone, Sean. 2017 could not be tied up in a bow and put to rest until, obviously, we had gone over it with a fine-tooth comb and given these good people our thoughts on the best and worst of the year. Well, absolutely. I'm sure they were waiting with bated breath. They couldn't really get on about their daily business until we've done this show. <laughs> it's, it's, there's been cries and rending of clothes across the nation waiting for this. <laughs> so what sort of thing are you about to hear? Well, we're not going to give you our usual spiel about games. We're just going to fire into the usual categories we do in these end-of-year shows. We're going to be talking about the underrated, the overrated, the best expansions, the biggest disappointments, and we're going to finish off with our top tens of the year. I'm sure... I'm sure they can't wait. I'm sure they can't run it, and I think there might be a few arguments on the way. A bit of agreement. I'm not sure how it's stacking up, whether it's going to be our usual, you're an idiot, or whether it's going to be more, ah, good choice. I will say there were as an unusual amount of contenders for the top 10 this year. Between 25 and 30 were on my shortlist, and we've only got two crossovers in our top 10s, which is incredibly unusual usually there's a lot more than that dancing between the pair of us yeah but in general Roland, did you feel like it was a, a really strong year or a, a kind of good year that there was a lot of good games but not so many great games i think there was a lot of very good games and that it's going to be harder and harder for any year to have loads of great games now the more we've played the more experience we've got the more that actually some of our favorites are just set in stone due to the fact you've got history with them you can draw on previous plays so it's getting harder and harder for games to absolutely wow us but the number of very good games suggests to me that 2017 was a pretty strong one for the hobby excellent right should we crack on? oh we certainly shall crack on we're going to go to under the radar but before we do that, of course, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to download the episodes, we're on iTunes, Stitcher and Podbean. And we have a YouTube channel where we do our pit stop videos. Sean has been in his creativity hut at the end of his garden and he's been coming up with new categories for us to do in our end of year show and the first couple come from his twisted but brilliant brain this one is under the radar it's a game that we've really enjoyed that we didn't think got enough love and for me sean i've gone with flatline kane clinker and renegade games it's a real-time cooperative dice game in which you're trying to save patients it's like a thematic sequel to fuse in which you're trying to defuse a bomb but in flatline the bomb's gone off and it's up to you to save those people who've been caught in it as a co-op it's really tough it's got seven phases in a round and only one of those phases is real time so you're making decisions before before and after you've done the actual dice rolling when you roll those dice there's different colored symbols and they are different symbols as well so colorblind friendly and you're just looking to match them with different areas of the board whether to stave off crises that are happening or help save the patients there's a timing mechanism as to which is a good patient to save this round and which will not help us you're getting pulled in different directions like in any good co-op it's very abstracted in that the patients are cones if you like of cardboard with different lines on that you have to fill in there's nothing even to suggest that you're working in like a med bay but for me it really captures the feel of being under the pump working under pressure and getting pulled in different directions and like i say it's a tough game and that's flat line my under the radar choice yeah i actually think it's a decent choice Ronan. i 
don't like, as we keep saying, I'm getting bored of myself, I don't like the real-time aspect of, of certain games, but this one, because you've got that pause in between and you can reflect and you can, and you can you're still right, okay, this is what your target is, this is what your target is, this is what I'm going for, and this is the kind of like the group target, then that kind of makes this game a lot more enjoyable for me. It's not just keep roll, 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 roll do your thing, then go again. So I, I like the communication aspect of this game, so I, I like that choice. A real-time dice roller that Sean hasn't completely dismissed. Surely that is a five-star gold rating. If <laughs> ever I've heard one. What's your choice, Sean? So for me, it's City of Kings from City of Games, designed by Frank West. Now, this one, when it came out, it got some negative reviews, and I just want to address that slightly. So I've I've played this a few times now, and what we thought it was, I think it isn't. Now, when we did our preview of this game, we looked at it rolling in the past, and we thought that this one was going to be kind of an RPG light with uh, some really strong storytelling and uh, creating your own character. Now, it has got elements of those, but what it really is at its heart is a puzzle, very much like Legends of Andor-esque, where you're you're all having to think more in solving puzzle terms than actually thinking about, oh, your character and what's their name and what are they doing. So I had to play this one about three or four times before it finally clicked for me. And I just wonder if some of the reviewers out there just played it once or twice and then judged it on that and judged on it based on its beautiful artwork and that you can progress the character, but you don't necessarily do it all the way every time. That's a theme I think we're going to come back to with a couple of games. (laughs) (laughs) And something I think we did discuss at a bit length in episode 100, the mythical episode 100, about the fact that people sometimes rush to get a review out. And maybe a little bit of consideration would be more the sort of reviews that we would enjoy. For City of Kings, see, I've got a real disadvantage in getting this played, Sean. What is that, Ronan? Well, I never actually progressed to black belt level in jiu-jitsu, so I've got zero chance of wrestling out of your arms. (laughs) I'll I'll bring it down under armed guard. (laughs) Yeah, it pretty much would be. I'm pretty sure I'd have to put white gloves on in order to get a play in as well. No, you're absolutely gagging to get a play in it. As you said, it seems like it's a different game, so first impressions might be misleading. But now that I've been given that heads up, I'll just take it as it comes. I now have zero expectations for City of Kings, and I'm looking forward to exploring it. So for me, City of Kings, give it a chance. If you didn't like it first time, play it two or three more times. If you still don't like it, fair enough. It's not for you, but I think a lot of people will change their mind. And now we're going to go almost to the other side of that coin, Ronan. We're going to go overrated. The game that you saw just getting loads and loads of love elsewhere, but you just did not understand. And I've set you up for this one because I I knew exactly what you were going to say. Which is why I'm not going to say Century (laughs) Spice Road. (laughs) We all know Century Spice Road is ridiculously overrated and there's nothing to it. And it could have been designed by a six-year-old. Anyway, moving on from the fidget spinner of Euros. The other one that I don't understand is Unlock. Now, it's part of the escape rooms boom, if you like. And I understand that a rising tide carries all boats, but it seems to have carried a sinking hulk in this case. For Unlock, those are the worst puzzles and the worst type of puzzles I've encountered because... There's several plausible answers each time. And for us anyway, we ended up combining cards together. You need a red and a blue and a red and a blue. But 
this red, these wires look like they could go into any of these four electrical devices. So we'll just try them. Wrong, lose five minutes. Wrong, lose five minutes. Oh, right, on your third go. With no logic to it, I don't feel like, oh, I could have worked that out better. I just feel like I could have got luckier in my guess. Also, some of the puzzles hinge on real tiny numbers, but too often. And so you're constantly scouring every, and it's like they're trying to find more and more ways to make these numbers harder and harder to see, which makes it less and less fun. It was frustrating. There was no payoff. I feel like other escape room games have done it much, much better. This is bad, 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 bad. Lots of very good escape room games, like Etsy the game, like Escape Tales we've been talking about previewing. Unlock is not one of them. I have no idea because I've never played any of them until I went to go and pick one up in the UK Games Expo and Roland practically rugby tackled me. You had to be taken down and spoken to very sternly <laughs> at that stage. Okay, so my one's going to upset Roland and it's Magic Maze from Pegasus Spiel and Casper Lap. Now, I don't think Magic Maze is a bad game per se. Yes, it's not for me, but I just don't understand the absolute adoration. It's like the mind, but we'll talk about that next year. <laughs> <laughs> it fucking is not like the mind. <laughs> I just don't understand. Like the like people have gone wild for this. Ronan as well. Ronan's gone absolutely mental for this. Absolutely loves it. And I'm sure he'll tell us later why he loves it so much. But for me, it's kind of like an extrapolation of one of those slidey puzzles, right? That's got to move to there so that that can move up. And then that one can move there. And it makes me irritated and annoyed at people who I love and who have never, ever irritated or annoyed me before. So it just, it brings out the worst you're, you're in not, me. You're not, you're not talking about me there, are you? No, oh God, no, no. I was actually thinking of more your girls because... I've never had a moment to be irritated about your girls in their, in their entire existence until playing Magic Maze when they're tapping that dobber in front of me. Yeah, they did need a beating, but that's all right. It was a <laughs> But it just brings out the worst in me. I don't want the worst in me. I do that often enough without help. We're well, not the worst. I mean, oh, we can't talk about the worst. <laughs> well, no. Not in case the FBI or the CIA are listening. But yeah, I find it a deeply irritating game. And I do understand some of the love for it, but... God, not all of it. So I disagree it's overrated because I don't think I've seen a single review or heard a single review where they didn't say, this game is not for everyone. So it's completely a Marmite game. And I think that's always been highlighted by people. And they said, look, you might love it. I, I love it, for example. Other people have said, I can see why you'd like to love it, but I hate it. Exactly the way you said. And that is where I've seen the split. Now, I think probably there's been more of a split towards positive reviews than negative reviews but I haven't seen a single one with complete praise that just went this is for everyone this is a game that everyone loves oh my god it's great like some other games you get well, yeah which is fine absolutely but I don't see what this game brings to make it like top of that tree of real time puzzle solving games I don't see how it does that so much better than everything else of, of that type that's what I can't really see but that's because you hate real time and you don't see the appeal in the fast pace and the time pressure and that time pressure leading to mistakes which can be funny or leading to moments in which it all comes together and you do it brilliantly and you think as a team, yes, wow. And you, you never enjoy that aspect in any game. So that's probably why. And also, and I really have to say this quite strongly, you're wrong. Oh, well, Ronan, we're going to have to agree to disagree on this one. Um, I do see your point, absolutely. But I think I had to get a mention of it because it really does irritate me. <laughs> So, Sean, 
good games are sometimes made much, much better with a fantastic expansion. It's time for us both to choose our favourite expansion of 2017. Now, having used the word expansion so many times there, I'm now going to choose something that isn't strictly an expansion. It isn't at all. Well, it kind of... I could I could argue that point, actually. It's only part of a system. Well, okay, so therefore, uh, is the next Time Stories adventure an expansion, or is it part of a system? It's... Uh... Well, you pause for long enough for me to think I can get away with this. No, no, it needs the base game to play, so ha, it's not standalone. Oh, I hate you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, is Dreadmire an expansion? What's that, Xeno Shift? Yeah. Does it need the base game to play it? No. No, it's not an expansion. Oh, maybe we're in a grey area here. Should we move on and I'll actually say what I'm talking about? It's Tomb of Annihilation, the board game, the Dungeons & Dragons adventure system. Now... Yeah, I know, I'm an idiot. It's not exactly an expansion, but it is a repeat of a system taken in a different direction. And the reason why I wanted to highlight it is because we did a full review of Temple of Elemental Evil, which was the immediate predecessor to Tomb of Annihilation. Terrible. Hated it. They just got it all wrong. The balance was completely wrong. It was really frustrating. They took away any fun of the dungeon crawl. And this is a relatively light dungeon crawling co-op in which you want to be swinging swords, casting spells, having a laugh. Yeah, it always feels a little bit tough. Like you're on a slow spiral into defeat and it's whether you can win before that spiral catches up with you but Temple of Element Evil got it completely wrong it was oppressive and not fun Kevin Wilson got brought in he's starting to really starting to see his design since he left FFG a few years ago now but they're really kicking off and he's taken it and he's tweaked it and he's evolved the system and he's improved the campaign system in there and every game needs to evolve and you need to keep up with what's current and certain systems possibly previously mentioned in this particular section have not evolved and it showing and this system needed to evolve and they made a real nice step in the right direction and it's not overpriced it's got great minis in there and it's got different ideas it's more colorful than previous examples and i just think that because it was a revival of those games that we've played so often it needed highlighting so tomb of annihilation is my sort of expansion of 2017 all right if you if you squint Hard enough, you might you might just squeeze in. So my expansion, I'm 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 carrying it and I'm running around in a circle, so you can't see it quite clearly. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So mine is Scythe, the Wind Gambit, uh, obviously from uh, Mister Stegmeier, helped out by Kai Stark and Stonemeyer Games. So I played this recently, and again, my first impressions of this one, I was like, mm, what does it really add? Because you can some of the Airships can carry people, some of them can carry goods, and I was kind of like, uh, I don't see the point. It's not really done much. And they've got some powers that they add as well if, you, if you're in certain areas. But then we're playing with Natalie, and she stumbled across a really good way to use hers, and then that kind of inspired me. And by the end, we were like, how do we live without these? Absolutely fantastic. It really changes up the game. The powers, can, especially in a multiplayer game, I would imagine, the powers of the airships would really come into their own. And it, it just makes a very good game uh, a little bit better for me. So Scythe Wind Gambit is my choice. Well, it looks great, but I haven't played it and I haven't genuinely played Scythe enough to for me to feel like I really require expansions. There's still so much to explore in the base game. So uh, by all means, I'm going to give you a thumbs up just as moral support. Thank you very much, Ron. Okay, so we're going into very much my area of not expertise, but certainly of the stuff that I like in gaming and its production values, whether that be art or just general 
components, Ronan. Yes, and there was and could be only one winner for me. It's almost unfair in this category. It's Mythic Battles Pantheon. And where to start? Incredible value on the Kickstarter. Now, I know it's not cheap. I know that there's many, many expansions you can get and expansions that have just recently been available on Kickstarter and you could spend hundreds of dollars on this game. However, if you just bought the base game, as I did, as I tried to do with Kickstarters, you've got two massive boxes full of incredible minis, fantastic artwork, evoking a just amazing theme and opening those two boxes. If the child in you doesn't come alive and you delight in what they've done and how they've interpreted old stories and made them look Stunning in these miniatures. I don't know where to go with you. The boards are great. Lots of scenarios. Just the whole thing was a classy, physical package. Much like you, Sean. Well, thanks for saying it. That's okay. I think everyone needed me to say that. (laughs) I think they did. Everyone's going, what? I was very much thinking the same as you, Ronan. And just because I didn't want to say the same as you, I came up with something else. So, yes, Mythic Battles Pantheon absolutely breathtakingly stunning like the the photos that you can take just from that board are absolutely wonderful and the, the miniatures are amazing my choice and i had to link long and hard and, and it only just snuck in according to board game geek is a 2017 game so i'm going with that lords of hellas from awaken realms uh, adam grapinski designing it just for that theater again ronan really beautiful miniatures the constructing of the monuments first time i've ever really seen that done in that way on a board game it looks amazing as they're as they're going up onto the board i've got the terrain expansion which which elevates it that little bit more beautiful art love love the take and the thought like uh, that the gods were aliens that came down with all this sort of technology and it yeah it, it looks amazing on the table jolly good there were a couple of things that kept this back from from being up there with the battles for me the board doesn't look that great and isn't that usable and the graphic design here and there, I mean, is a bit tricky. The, the system isn't as streamlined as Mythic Battles, so they had a trickier job anyway in, in terms of their graphic design, but it wasn't quite as crisp and as clean. And sometimes things needed explaining a few times to my eye. And you know I'm a crisp clean and I get befuddled <laughs> by. So just that, but still a good choice. But that's just what kept it from being top spot for me. And also, it invokes the uh, three most hated words in the English language in this house at the moment. Go on then. Two wave shipping. Because <laughs> you still haven't got your car. I still haven't got my game. <laughs> I don't pay much attention. When I've back to Kickstarter, I tend to like it to be like a Christmas present surprise when it arrives. So I don't really pay much attention as production goes on. I got an email saying, oh, you can have your base game, or you can have it when it all comes out. I'm like, oh, I'll have it when it all comes out, whatever. How much longer will that be? <sighs> At least a year. <laughs> <laughs> it's rather than that long yet, but it's no. kind of getting there. But that was my own choice. I, I chose that. So there you go. Maybe I should read my emails closer. And that was my choice, Lords of Hellas. Now, Sean, whenever I take my court on the road around this fair United Kingdom of ours, I always like to travel in a wheelhouse. It's <laughs> the only thing that will convey you. The only thing that will stabilise my head well enough. My poor <laughs> neck muscle. <laughs> we mention the word wheelhouse so often. I don't, what, what? What is a wheelhouse? Have you ever been in a wheelhouse? I've never been in a wheelhouse, no. 
Well, that's good to know. Okay, we should maybe stop talking about wheelhouses so much. Anyway, in our wheelhouse, or indeed out of our wheelhouse, this is another one of our new categories in which we're going to choose a game that from the outside you think, oh, no, they're not going to like that. But we have, in fact, enjoyed during 2017. And I'm going to fire off with the Fantasy Flight Games IP of a massively successful computer game, and that's Fallout. Now, Fallout, it's an adventure game. But usually what I demand for my adventure games for me to really like them is that they have a balanced system that requires good play to win. And that's going to come up later on in my top 10 about this. Fallout does not have a balanced system and does not require good play to win. That is not this game. And in fact, now let's not get too deep into the meaning of what is a game and what isn't a game. It doesn't work as a competitive exercise because the way you win is ridiculous. But I enjoy the journey so much that on this rare occasion for a game that is complete just about story and adventure and just wandering around and letting things happen to you, in this case, Fallout really hit home for me. So it's definitely flawed, but it's a very good game. So, Ronan, I was quite surprised that you did like this one, given the flaws. But I think that's testament to the actual storytelling and just uh, the fun of the gameplay. You were quite tentative when you were bringing it around for me to play, weren't you? You were quite like, oh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, oh. So I was. You're not, you're not backwards in coming forwards when you think something's rubbish. So I was a little bit, oh. I'm usually quite polite to you, and I think, anyway, what's your uh, not in your wheelhouse game show? <laughs> okay, so, Ronan, I'm not particularly a big fan of abstract puzzle games. But in 2017, two games came out that kind of captured my imagination, certainly had me playing them multiple times and enjoying them, and they were Azul and Sagrada. Now, I'm not running with the the cool crowd here for sure, in that I slightly prefer Sagrada. I know, heresy, everyone thinks Azul is the absolute bomb, but uh, I, I enjoy Sagrada a little bit more. Not much, but just that much more. I'll choose a Sagrada out of the two. But yeah, both of them very enjoyable, thinky puzzles where you kind of got to keep an eye. There's all more than others on what the other people are doing. And both very clever, both very nice and tactile. And yeah, as I said, I enjoyed both of them very much. Yeah, Azul was definitely close to my choice for this. I do feel like Sagrada maybe is not so much out of your wheelhouse because of the dice drafting aspect. And you enjoy a dice game, you enjoy a enjoy a dice drafter so okay yeah it's a bit more abstract than other dice drafting but I, I felt that one i felt was slightly more in your wheelhouse short slightly more in the in the dice drafting but it's what you do with the dice it's put them into the grid and making sure that colors don't match and stuff like that i don't tend to enjoy that kind of aspect of games but yeah a slight slightly closer than azul for sure two good games i enjoy them both as well and clearly sagrada is about a billion times better than roleplay <laughs> you were on one about roleplay yeah i don't know what it is about roleplay i still haven't worked out why why it just doesn't sit so well but yeah too sagrada much faff oh I mean, there's no more gameplay than there is in sagrada which is done in 25 minutes well True. roleplayer takes an hour and a half with a load of rubbish nah get out of here okay <laughs> something we also like to do is refer back through our gaming path and choose a game that in 2017 has come out of the dust it has made a reappearance and come back into the rotation on our table and this one for me is a little filler game no thanks now when i first started gaming back 10 years and more ago 
this was one of those fillers that everyone would have and everyone would play. And if you're like, oh, we're waiting 15 minutes to start a game there, no thanks, we get pulled out. That and Coloretto, but no thanks for us more. And I loved it then. We were going away on a holiday in August to Spain, myself, Rachel and the kids, and we, were go- we knew we were going to sort of a sleepy city to Coruña on the north coast to the Celtic area. And we're going to explore some of the history of it and what have you there. And we had a fantastic time. And as you do, every now and then we found ourselves in the midday sun going into a cafe or when we're out sightseeing, having a rest from walking around and having a sit down. And off the games that I picked and brought along, and they know plenty of them, no thanks for some reason, was the big hit of that holiday. And we'd get it out and everyone would be laughing and joking and stitching each other up and risking, oh, I've got the 19, should I take the 21 and hope the 20 comes out? Because not the whole deck comes out. And it's a game that when you explain it to people, they kind of look at you and go, oh, right, yeah, that sounds great. And then they play it once and it clicks. It's got that magic of, oh, hold on. That is making me think. That is making me push my luck. We are interacting around the table a lot and we are laughing and little stories come out of it. So it's only a little game, but it made a big comeback this year. And that is No Thanks. I've never played it, Ronan. I've, I've kind of always looked at it and thought, yeah, I should really be playing that. It looks like it's something that I'd enjoy. But yeah, as yet, not, not played it so... Maybe that's one to play when we next meet up. I shall force that upon you tomorrow. Good man. Good man yourself. Okay, so my one is Istanbul 2014 release from Pegasus Spiel, designed by Rudiger Dorn. And it's something I used to own, and I really enjoyed it. But then I think there was a kind of uh, a particular route to victory that was the one he kind of had to use go to the gem dealer I think it is and it was kind of the way to go and it started making it a bit monotonous like you have to really go towards him and go and other routes weren't as productive so I kind of started leaving it on the shelf a bit more and then eventually traded it away but recently I started thinking you know what I miss just playing Istanbul so I think it was at a LobsterCon, the last LobsterCon I went to, we, myself and Nat had a game with a couple of the others, and we really enjoyed it. So, because I knew that the expansion were out or coming out, I decided, right, I'm going to pick it up again. So, I've now got Istanbul again, I've got the expansions, and I haven't played them yet, but we're really enjoying just the base game of Istanbul. I think it's, it's rocketed right to the top of Natalie's wish list in terms of wanting to play when we play in games and yeah it's i think it's a very strong game and i missed it Ronan. yeah it's fine <laughs> it's it's just fine i'm yo know, i'm happy for you mate it hasn't good. got any legs for me whatsoever but i'm happy that you're happy good i'm, I'm happy that you're happy that i'm happy I'm, well all right that's probably as far as we can go with that i'm no more happy than that <laughs> that was istanbul <laughs> to me Sean because no person can possibly play every game released in a year therefore some some minnows some sharks some whales some herring some cod and some skate are going to escape our nets each time we do these end of year reviews yes uh, nice nice analogy well done I, I, I trying to get as many fish in there as different because I was trying to point out the games are different to each other did it work yeah, yeah uh, not so much no alright <laughs> I'll try again for next year <laughs> Should we move on Yes, please. Got really awkward. Okay, so my number three, new to me, because we're doing a top three, by the way. It's new to me, but it's a new slant on an old favourite. And for 2017, I got in my first place of the 2016 release, Pandemic Iberia. Easily 
the best regular alternative version of Pandemic that I have found, and I'm pretty sure I've played them all. There's a great system of planning, of route building. There's very different player powers, which mean not only are you doing something different on your turn, but the whole way the team has to play to deal with the situation completely changes depending upon what roles you've got in there. There are scenarios included. I'm not brave enough to play a scenario yet in which all the cubes start moving towards hospitals. So certain areas get completely overrun. You have to focus your ideas in there. That's just terrifying to me. It's beautifully made. I love the whole aesthetic. I love the whole theme. It works just fantastically well for me. So my number three best new to me game for 2017 was Pandemic Iberia. Cool, yeah. I'm not the biggest fan of Pandemic, but it definitely looked beautiful and it sounded interesting. I always play a game of Pandemic, sometimes under protest, but yeah, I'll be up for a game of this, Ronan. Marvellous. That's another thing for me to force upon you, Sean. What was your number three best new to you game? New to you, uh, number three for me was the downfall of Pompeii. It was during a period when I was kind of starting to feel there wasn't that many really good Euro games coming through. So I wanted to go and revisit some of the ones I hadn't played previously. Uh, maybe not so strictly Euro, but from Klaus Jürgen Reed, Amigo Games, Mayfair Games, Downfall of Pompeii, it's just a, a really fun game. Well, maybe not the most fun theming, people dying basically from a volcano interruption, but certainly... You're obviously all in the city, you're trying to get all your people out first, you're knacking each other, you're trying to eke out and put the lava flows in, in each other's way. And just a fun game with a little bit of luck, a little bit of skill and a lot of fun. It is fun, but it's, it's, it's fun fluff. It has, sort of what you do has really no consequence because others around can mess with you so much. But but speaking of others around me, so many people I play with love this game that for sure there must be something in there. I'm not mad on it. I'd play it if you asked me to. But uh, to me, it's just sort of 45 minutes almost wasted because it doesn't really matter what oh, I do. That's a bit harsh. Well, it's so much dependent on what other people decide to do to you that you've got very little agency and it's just a bit long for that lack of agency to me. I don't hate the game. It's okay. You can see it building up. Obviously, if you put your pawns into a place where the, somebody can stitch you up with the next lava tile drawn then and put it straight across you, then fine. But That's fine. But what if the other three players all collude and go boom, boom, boom? Yeah, I think maybe player count is important. We played, uh, when I played it, we played three player. And you can see most things coming and you can sort of get yourself in a position. Sometimes the luck will just work against you, but you could get around a lot of things and you can use those sort of clever putting multiple people in one area so to get more moves out of there and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, it's, it, there is a lot of luck. There is a lot of messing, but I enjoyed the, the game anyway, Ronan. That was uh, Downfall of Pompeii. What was your number two? Well, should we stick to a sort of uh, classical theme here and go to the Oracle of Delphi, which is definitely the best Feld game we're we're going to discuss in this category, by the way. I'd like to get that in before, <laughs> before we go any further. <laughs> yeah, I love Oracle Delphi, another 2016 release from Stefan Feld. It's got a great race aspect to it. You're racing to be the first to do 12 tasks for Zeus and get back to the middle of the board. Uh, it's all about action priority and looking about what's on the board, 
where you need to pick things up, where you need to visit things, what particular colours you're aiming for, and how you're going to get to those before the other players do. Because there's a limited supply of everything you need, and there's four different varieties of tasks, and they come in different colours. And it's about planning out a route, but being aware that that route is going to get messed with. Because if I've planned to go to the green statue as my fourth or fifth thing to do, more likely than not, if it's an easy setup, then someone's going to have grabbed that particular green statue. So sometimes you have to plan a route ahead and go, well, let's anticipate that's gone and move around here and then you're rolling dice so you have to you can mitigate dice rolls but you have to roll with what you've rolled as well and sometimes adapt because it will be more efficient to just take the colors that you've got and make it work but sometimes it will be more efficient to be no fine it's gonna be a terrible turn but i'm setting myself up for later on i'll accept this terrible turn because i can anticipate next time it's going to be easier you're constantly making decisions it's not one where you just set up your route and that's it you're just going through the motions and seeing who gets there first. It's a constant adaptation of the game state and watching the other players and stimming the other players, which is very important. You get crazy powerful god powers, which can completely change what you're going to do. You can teleport right the way across the board. You can really save yourself. You're getting attacked every turn by titans, which can weaken you and make you miss a turn, which sounds terrible, but turns are very quick in the game, so it's not the end of the world. And you're always invested because you have to see what everyone else is doing. This is pick up and deliver in a large aspect but that's not the entire game and it's done very well and I really really enjoy Oracle of Delphi see I was I was on the fence with Oracle of Delphi I wasn't really sure I'd had some good games I'd had some bad games and I really wasn't sure which way to go but I think I've come down on the side of I don't particularly like it I think those times when you miss a go are quite quite powerful because I think it's a very close game generally everyone's within two of the 12 tasks that you you need to get to to win the game and it just became a bit boring and monotonous for me. Yeah, you do have to react, but sometimes you don't. Sometimes people don't mess with you and you just you're just plodding through. So it didn't quite hit the heights for me that it did with Ronan. I've won more than I've lost and even when I've won I've not really felt any great sense of joy or achievement. I've just not been messed with, so I don't know. It's just not not really stuck with me as as I thought it might do, because I do love a felled. Wow, you're a complete wrong one, Sean. Okay, what's your number two? Number two, sticking with that theme of exploring older games, and this one, maybe in that sort of classic range, possibly. It's Turn and Taxis, where it's a postal system and you're delivering things across Europe, and the game itself is all about a set collection with cards and moving across that map, trying to get area control almost, uh, placing your pieces into the areas to to score points when you complete those areas and various other things and a very simple framework of a game ronan but i found it strangely compelling and it kind of brought me back to that sort of yesteryear of euro gaming that was hankering for at the time so i thoroughly enjoyed it you've gone spelunking sean (laughs) this is a massive hole in my uh, gaming experience i've never played turn of taxis Obviously, I hadn't until until 2017. Yeah. It's it's a strange one. It's it's always there on the shelf, and you're, I'm always looking at it thinking, oh, that might be fun to play. You, you kind of always put it back down again. It kind of, when I was first getting into gaming, it kind of sat with Stone Age, at that sort of era of Euro gaming, and I never really turned to turn and taxis. <laughs> I was going to say I was always like Sputnik to its earth, but, but maybe we'll just move on from there. <laughs> Uh, it does look bland, by the way. So that's part of it as well. That you don't, It's not like a game that you go, oh, yeah, I'd like to get my teeth into that. Or oh, about a private postal system from a, a noble German family. Brilliant. That sounds brilliant. Yeah, and it's brown. But how does it... What makes it hold up, rather, in a modern world of gaming? 
there's a race element. Like you're racing to get to fill up all, all the areas as quickly as possible. Obviously, you're, you're you're planning that route and you're trying to efficiently plan the route. And but there is that luck element of what cards you draw into your hand. And but there's ways of getting more cards into your hand so you can mitigate that slightly. There's some of those familiar mechanisms involved. I think it's really the sort of race and getting the things as quickly as possible and planning that route. The most, I suppose, like Oracle of Delphi, but in a, in a less stressful environment. Oh, man. See, avoiding stress. So it's just, <laughs> just what it's all about, the stress. Now, however, as we move on to our number one new-to-us games, quick play, you say. Fast-paced. Keeping everything at a nice clip. I present to you, Mr. Rice, Hanamakoji as my number one. It's officially a 2013 game although i know it wasn't widely available in 2013 in well the uk us markets and what have you i'm struggling to think of a better five minute two player game it's got tension it's got bluffing you're reading each other you're attempting to grab control of a set of geishas along a street by playing cards down you can look at your cards you can hide them you can flip them over you have to sometimes offer some away to the other player there's a set amount for each of them there's different numbers some of them require one some requires a majority of five it's always quite tight. It can get into an area where you're moving on to a second round, a third round. There's lots of backwards and forwards between each other. It's tense. Every time I choose one of my four actions, because there's only four actions available to you, you're choosing which one to do. It's all about how I'm managing my hand of cards. It's so much in such a small package. I would say this is a best in class all time for this quick of a two-player game. Hannah Makoji, Sean. Yeah, it certainly doesn't outstay that old welcome. Yeah, I, I enjoyed my plays of this one, Ronan. More from a what-the-hell-just-happened point of view, because it is an exercise in making the, a silk purse out of the sow's ear, isn't it? you dealt a load of rubbish. You know that you're up against it, and it's just trying to make the best of that. Yeah, it's it's a good game. Not really in my wheelhouse, as we continue to say, not knowing what a wheelhouse is. But, uh, yeah, I can see why you like it, Ronan, for sure. Oh, I thought you were going to be harsher on it than that. Oh, wonderful. I've mellowed my stance on it a little bit. I've I've played it a few more times, and I think when we reviewed it, I was kind of, yeah, you know what, it's just stupid. There's no no thought involved. It's just luck and my usual shtick. My my love letter shtick, shall we say. (laughs) Is this just a pattern where I break you down? On Japanese themed games over time. <laughs> Swear you away. Well, my number one best new to me 2017 is Hannah Makoji. Sean, yours is the second best Feld to be mentioned in this section. In this section, okay. It's a merry go. Obviously, Stefan Feld, Queen Games. It's the game with the fabled, well, one of the games with the fabled cube tower where you're dropping in cubes and certain cubes are going to come out, certain are going to stay in the cube tower. And then you're using actions based on what colours drop out. Each one that represents a type of action you can use. And you're moving around a map, collecting resources from that map and manipulate them in various ways. We've talked about it before. We've reviewed it. I thoroughly enjoyed the theatre of the Cube Tower. I thought it kept the game fresh always. Yes, sometimes there were duff rounds when nothing came out or one or two came out. and uh, But generally, the Cube Tower worked pretty well and provided that theatre. And as I said, that... Uh, keeping you on your toes you never knew quite what your options were going to be each round very felled lots of lots of decisions lots of ways to score points i'm a felled fan and i hadn't played this one due to the looks of the game i really didn't get drawn in by the looks at all i thought it looked appalling when we saw it in Essen in, I think it was 2013. glad i played it this year finally i now own it i enjoyed it that much ronan there we go 
It's ugly. It's ugly. Your, your mama, mama says you're ugly. ugly. <laughs> it's not a good looking game. It's not. I uh, didn't know. Mm. Still not good looking. Still a bit rank. <laughs> it's a good game. It is a good game. Why wasn't it anywhere near to my best new to me? Why well, I'm not sure if I played it before 2017. Why wouldn't it be near my best new to me? Because of those duff turns sometimes where, and it's not just the odd one. It can happen two, three turns in a row where the cubes drop. You're in a certain, certainly once you get two thirds of the way into the game and onwards where you go, well, that's useless. Or I'm not taking pirates. Well, that's no use to me. So I have to do that. And we all have to do the same thing more or less. Also, before the end, you can get into a set finishing order whereby someone has got a certain... That's quite a good play, don't get me wrong. It's, this is not a killer to the game. They've got a certain combination of bonus tiles and powers, and the way they set themselves up, and you just go, oh, well, we literally have no way of catching this person. Now, now of course, good play must be rewarded. That's just what stops it from being at the creme de la creme for me. So a good Euro, I would need to play it more for it to get any higher than that, and I'm not sure that it would get any higher than that. You're harking back to that game we played when I lapped everyone, aren't you? Oh, mate, everyone's lapped me in America. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's one of those games where you play it once, and I creamed everyone in my first play. It's a three-player game. And then every game after that, I've been last. So I don't know what happened. I had an absolute aberration in the first game, clearly. (laughs) I disagree about the cube tower, but we'll have to agree to disagree on that. And, yeah, I think think you've got a valid point in that people can build up a, a fairly substantive lead. I think there's a lot of endgame scoring, as failed games tend to have. So sometimes that can be clawed back and make it quite interesting. But sometimes it is fairly obvious who's won. But I still thoroughly enjoy this game. And that's why I've chosen it as my number one. That's a merry-go. Sean. Is a sad fact of life, but not every game released every year is a classic. No, Ronan, you're you're absolutely right. It's soul-destroying, but I think it's our duty to shine a light on some of these failures. The dark corners of gaming. Now, it would be too easy to just pick on the worst games of the year, because we can walk down any toy shop and point at several dozen of those. These are the biggest disappointments, meaning we actually had some hope for these games, but they let us down horribly. Now, in the case of my number three, this is going to go to Tribe. It's a dexterity game which came from uh, Japan at Essen. And usually for my disappointments, it's a game that I've been excited about beforehand, and I think, oh, yeah, this is good, it's going to be special, and it's let me down in some way. Tribe we didn't really know anything about we did it in our treasure hunts and all we knew is it looked a bit a bit kooky a bit fashionable it had great bits in it or multicolored different shapes and you're having to hang them off these these vaguely human shaped pieces and there were some rules and there was two bits to it and i was like oh, okay yeah but i didn't have high hopes i was just like okay well, let's have a look at it so for it to get in my disappointments it really had to be a complete mess of a game and that's exactly what we got it took over an hour to play the scoring was almost unfathomable just to work out where you could put things and why and how you're going to score took a level of concentration so far beyond that which should be required for a dexterity game we got what i can that in the end we just co-opted it 
And when someone pulled a piece out, we go, okay, where have you got to put that? And where's the best place? And where, and yeah, if you hang that there, then that would combo with those two. But it's also an ear, which will go with those three ears. And don't forget that makes all five different colours on that one. So that will also score you two points. What? It's like a Phil Eklund scoring system on a dexterity game. I'm calling it a game, not really a game, because the rules didn't make any sense. There are second edition rules. If you're brave, go and have a look at them. I certainly haven't, because I gave up very quickly on Tribe. A disaster. Yeah, thankfully I didn't get to play this one. You were setting it up as I was leaving Essen, (laughs) or I was going somewhere anyway. Uh, Yeah, I have no intention of ever playing this, so uh, well done, you. Thanks, I took it for the team there. Okay, so my number three is something that we were both massively excited about to the point where we pre-ordered this game, both of us individually, which very rarely happens, uh, at Essen last year. It's Edge of Humanity by Golden Egg Games, designed by Elad Goldstein and Paul Schechter. It's a deck-building game, but a deck-building game in a post-apocalyptic sort of scene where it's, it's a very frugal game where it's very very small increments and you have to be very sort of decisive about what you're getting rid of and you you never have lots of cards in your hand. Now, we played this a few times. Roland definitely took to it after maybe the first or second game, but for me, it just stayed quite annoying, quite frustrating. I don't like that, just making the best out of almost nothing. I like to build up a deck builder. When I think deck builder, I'm thinking deck builder, not deck eker. So it never really hit the heights for me so i don't think it's a terrible game it just disappointed me personally wrong i know i know I you're just wrong <laughs> it's not a deck builder it's very unusual it's very much a card cycler or recycler which kind of hits in with a apocalyptic theme you have a deck of cards you're bringing some in but you're always having to give some up in order to claim more and you're constantly under the pump and constantly under pressure and it's incredibly thematic in that way it's not easy you are in a disaster situation if it was one a game in which you just built up a deck and you got more and more powerful like a usual deck builder and you scored some vps it just would not suit the theme but this has done it. It's very unusual the way it does it. It's hard to get your head round. It needs a little bit of adaptation. It shouldn't have five players possible because that's just far too boring. It should have been limited at four. It's probably better with three, to be honest with you. A very unusual game, a very brave game. I'm not entirely sure it was marketed correctly. It was put in a stupidly big box. I mean, ridiculous, like a big FFG size. You're expecting minis and maps and cards and tokens, and you don't get that. You get a few decks of cards. If they had completely reduced the size of that box and marketed it, even episodically, because there's three different scenarios in there, and marked it as this little card cycling thinky game in which you're eking out and the small size would have actually fit that marketing, I think it would have been much more of a hit because there's a clever game there. They just try to make it into something and market and present as something that it isn't but that shouldn't stop you from giving it a go i actually really like edge of humanity yeah i think some of the the choices like the game board was was a ridiculous yeah, design choice and it, I, I just found it so punishing and definitely not when you're a new player at this you're going to get walloped by uh, seasoned players it's very punishing and sometimes i'm fairly so but yeah, I can I can see why Ronan does like it, but it's, it's not for me. So that was Edge of Humanity, which is my number three disappointment. Ronan, I think you're about to talk about a, a terrible game with a fantastic rulebook. Really? That was your take, was it? 
yeah, yeah. You're not being sarcastic, no? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. This was a, a near miss for my overrated because I keep seeing people listing it as one of their favourite games of 2017 and uh, people keep praising it. And actually, it's been interesting to listen on the Dice Tower. I know that Suzanne always tries to be very polite and I, we've now worked out what her way of saying a game's terrible is. She says it's interesting because I heard Eric praising Keeper the other day and he was saying how he enjoyed his first play and Suzanne was like, hmm... Okay, yeah, it's a, hmm, an interesting game. That means she hates it. Okay, we've got the code now. Keeper. Lordy, lordy, lord, lord, lord. That rule book needs burning and should never have been published. This idea of this, you send these meeples, these keeples out onto fields, and there's four different ones, and you collect different resources. It's so standard. The theme is so dull. I haven't gone anywhere with that. Also, with these four different areas, each person picks them up each season and folds them around. There's different configurations and you put them down again. And that gives you what areas can be harvested in the next season. Dumb. I don't know what you lot are going to choose. I can go on anyone's field anyway. I might be presenting you with options that help you more than it helps me on my configuration. I don't know. You score four VPs for everything you do in the game. And you're just consistently scoring four VP, four, three VP, four VP, three VP. No highlights. Just going along a flat level of minuscule step, 300 small steps to get a score at the end, which is within 20 points of everyone else. So flat, so monotone, so grey in its play that I just cannot believe that people like this game. Keeper was just a bear from start to finish. And not a good bear. I like all bears, apart from this. <laughs> a bear that you don't like. Oh, my God. That's how bad it was. That's how bad. I still want to play it, Ronan. I'm terrified by the rule book. That's why I haven't played it to date. Do you have it? No, I do not have it. Oh, it's unusual. You like a key game. I do like a key game. And because we previewed this before us, and the rule book terrified me. Even when the likes of Paul Grogan, who do this for a living, decipher rule books, actually came out and said, you know what, yeah, the video's up, but it's loads of mistakes because I couldn't really work out how to play it. That, that shows you how bad this rule book was. My, my still... rage is building just talking about that rule book. <laughs> building, I tell you. Building. I, yeah, I still want to play it, but I don't know if I ever will. But by the way, and I hate to say this, you don't want to play it. Okay, all right. So that was Keeper. Mm. And my number two is Foville from Hook and Udo Pese. Foville wasn't really a game. It felt like a game that was constructed for young children, but they thought, oh, actually, we need more appeal. And they threw some sort of almost adult mechanics at the game that didn't really fit. It's set up to be a little bit like Kingsburg when you're attaching dice results to characters that are going to give you powers. But when it's it's even telling you what a double is on the rule book, you're kind of, hmm, alarms ringing. And it made no thematic sense. It made no sense at all. Random things happen to you all the time. It was actually a big disappointment to me because from afar, it looked like it might be an interesting Euro. I'm very puzzled at your inclusion of this in this section, Sean. <laughs> Good. Because I had zero expectations of it. I trapped that bad boy and it stayed firmly in that trap and I left it to starve. Oh, I don't know what you saw. I don't know what you saw. I think I might have trapped it, but it was such a huge disappointment even after a trap. It was just it wasn't a game. It was like how how somebody released this and into the Essen market 
like I just do not understand. I, I bought this game because we'd previewed it and I wanted to test it and play it. I thought something that maybe in a couple of years the boy would be able to play with me. But I could not trade it away. Nobody wants it. I eventually sold it for £2 in the UK Games Expo bring and buy. <laughs> and they still got ripped off. <laughs> they still got ripped off. <laughs> I have to make sure that my address is never given out to that person. <laughs> that is a hard, hard pass. I don't know how you got trapped. <laughs> that was Foville. Ronan, your biggest disappointment of oh, 2017. Not of, not of 2017, but possibly of my life. <laughs> I mean, you're dragging me back to some dark, dark places here, Sean. In my top five games of all time, Pandemic Legacy Season 1. Now, you used to be able to just call it Pandemic Legacy and everyone would know what you're talking about. So, part of my disappointment is the fact that I have to waste my life using the word Season 1 or 2 to differentiate between these two incredibly different games. Because <laughs> Season 1, amazing. One of the best gaming times I've ever had. Played through it twice, different groups. Just sublime. Season 2, utterly utterly terrible just thrown in with no context no concept of really what you're supposed to be doing no overview of what this whole campaign is terrible teasing ideas of oh keep going you'll find them somewhere oh they're out there i know where they are we're on the earth and i can see where the furthest away part is this is not mysterious this is just irritating Complete lack of control of what's going on. Far too much random in there. Random timing of events, random way the cubes come out. The cubes work in the opposite way that you're trying to build up stores, but you don't know where they're going to land, these devastations, and they just break out. And once they do, they completely reduce things. It makes it impossible to move around. It's really hard to move around anyway. It's really hard to do anything productive. Oh, it's just leads to really boring, boring turns. We are just moving on, going. Oh, I put one cube there, and I, oh, I jump, jump. Oh, I put one cube there. I know you have to change the way you think. I know you have to create sea lanes. I know that the way you manage the cubes is different to a normal pandemic, and that clicked after a play or two. I was like, oh. This could be an interesting puzzle. No, it's not. It's just someone, not with a big hammer, maybe just with a tack hammer. <laughs> a tack hammer on my head. Why? Anyway, an attack hammer just gently, every now and then, tapping you on the head. Just dink, dink, dink. That is the experience of playing Pandemic Legacy Season 2. You feel continually rushed. You have no time to consider what you're doing, to think about it, to form a plan and execute it and have that satisfaction. That is the key to a co-op, is that here's what we want to do. Let's do it in a clever way. Yeah, we did it. High fives. Brilliant. No, in this game, it's like, that's what we've got to do. Okay, we must abandon all other things and just follow down this one linear path and hope that the random blows that this game's going to throw at us doesn't knock us off path. And if it does knock us off path, that is going to put us behind the curve in the campaign. If we get too far behind the curve in the campaign, we have lost the campaign and we are out of it and we're going to have zero fun in the ongoing games because random events happened to us seven games ago that put us behind the curve of this campaign. No progression in what you're doing. You don't feel more powerful. You're just constantly getting beaten up. The game hates you and I hate the game and it's taken away all the fun of Pandemic and I am just disgusted that this is in the same line as season one. Breathe. Breathe, God damn it! I've been saving that up, my friend. Oh, I can tell. Why do you have a tack hammer on your head? 
so I can have a balanced attack. Hello. <laughs> Naturally. Would you be quite so uh, vitriolic, if that's even a word, about this game if season one didn't exist? No, and here's why. Because I've abandoned it a lot quicker. Okay. <laughs> I'd have just been like, wow, this is not fun. We kept plugging onwards through into August, September time. Someone's going to tell me, oh, one more play. There's a huge payoff in October. I don't care. You've wasted tens of hours of my life. I don't care if it gets good in October. Not interested. I would never have got that far if it didn't have the pandemic legacy tag to it. I had hope. I was like, it must be. It must be about to turn. It must be about to get fun. Something good must be about to happen to me. Pit of despair and lack of hope and just a horrible gaming experience. Let's just move on. I have not played Pandemic okay. Legacy Season 2. I'm going to go get my, my special blanket and hug myself for a little while. <laughs> go get your banky. Uh, I need my banky. So my biggest disappointment was Shadowscape from NSKN Games and Blachek Kubaki, the designer. We have reviewed this one in the past. It was generally down to what we kind of thought was not playtesting games. Part of this is a, yet another dig at NSKN games because I, I really like what NSKN bring in terms of ideas and thoughts and mechanisms, but they never tie things together. Kind of like what Plaid Hat kind of used to be for me. So this one is it, it a tiny little box, tiny, like the smallest little pieces, like cardboard pieces that you literally couldn't pick up. I have to go to my son to come pick pieces off the board for me. Can you move that to there, please? Because I literally just couldn't get to it. Endless loops would form in this game where you just couldn't do things or you couldn't get to things or you had to wait for one person who had the only combination of powers that would go and kill the monster that you needed to kill to win the game. And that was in a cooperative. And then if it wasn't a cooperative, then that person was the only person that could win. Not play tested yet again from NSKN. We've had it with Dragon's Gate College, Mistfall. And it's, it's led to me just thinking, you know what? I'm very unlikely to pick up anything by NSKN again because I've been disappointed time and time again. And this is just another in that string. I didn't think it was as bad as you think it was. Mm -hmm. I think that part of it is it didn't match your expectations. A bit of City of Kings going on here that you thought it was going to be something it wasn't. And a bit like City of Kings from Repute, I haven't played it. I have played Shadowscape. I got myself confused there. Let's move on. It was a puzzle game, really. And very much a puzzle game. It was a puzzle game. game, and I'm fine. As I've shown with City of Kings, if there's something there, I'll keep playing it. Okay. But with this one, it, it was broken. There were, there were facets of the game that were broken. You couldn't finish. Like, you had a character in one of the games we played that was the only character that could build enough to hit the end monster. Like, the big boss comes out at the end. Are you saying I just played better than you? No, you had a character <laughs> that could do it. <laughs> My character and Rachel's character couldn't do it. We could have the best cards available to us. We went through the deck. We couldn't do it. We couldn't kill it. We did not have the ability to kill that monster. Only you did. There's the wizard. And you had to wait four turns. So we had to sit around waiting four turns for you to build up to the, the correct chain of cards. Some really clever mechanisms with the flipping the card over. And then that one's not available to you to next round. But there's a power on the back that is available to you. And you've got a plan ahead to get the right cards in place for certain attacks and defenses. Brilliant. Really clever mechanism. Fine that it was a puzzle game. I'm, ha I'm fine with that. It just was broken, and it's too many games coming out of that stable that are just a little bit broken. I really triggered you there, didn't I? 
You did. Okay. So, as I was saying, <laughs> I think it was different to your expectations and it was more of a puzzle game. And there are aspects to the puzzle I enjoyed. And there were parts of this game where I was having fun and I was looking to do that cards, flip, flip, cycle, cycle, set something up. And there we go. Oh, there's a monster going that way. Oh, I have to avoid it. Maybe you can come in and help me out. There were certain aspects that were fun. I understand your frustration because it didn't pull together as a whole. As a total, complete game, it didn't do it. And the reason I think we get so annoyed of NSK, and you've said it there, is that you've got good games. This is a good game waiting to be developed. You must develop them. You cannot develop them on a spreadsheet. You must play them. You must blind play test them. You must get your rule books out there, and you must discover the little kinks in the system that remove the fun. When they do that, Sean, I will jump on board with them. They have to get better as developers. That is the issue. Okay, we've even heard from designers that have worked with these guys, and they've gone in and taken their game and changed things and not even consult the designers. And now, I know other publishers do that. Queen are very famous for doing it, just taking a game, a rough idea of a game, designing their own product. Fine. Queen are quite good at it. These guys are maybe not as good as as they could be with doing that. I don't know who they've got in the in, in the in a team who are changing these games and changing the layout of games and stuff, but they're missing more than, more than they hit. So, yeah, come on in, SKN. You, you, you're so close to being one of my favourite publishers. It's like literally on a flip of a coin, nearly. One of my least favourite at the moment, but honestly, you get that right, you're right up there. Right, okay. That's been quite therapeutic, I think, for both of us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, actually, we're going to move on to something a little bit negative, but then we're going to be on the top ten. We're nearly there, folks. So, Ronan, as reviewers of games and as game enthusiasts, we like to play as many games as possible. And sometimes we look ahead in the, in the years coming and think, we must get a player that particular one or must play that, or something that grabs your, your eye at Essen or something, and you think, right, 100%, I've got to play that. These are the ones that slipped through the net, the one that got away, Ronan. What's your one? Yeah, I think when you go into a top 10, obviously you can't play everything, so people are going to be like, what about this, what about that, what about the other one? So in order to mitigate a small percentage of that, the one that got away from me was Liz Boa. Now, I do own it, and I'm very intrigued by this idea of a medium to heavyweight game in which all you're doing is playing one card on your turn but by that play you're triggering a series of interlocking systems and I hear so many good reports about it even this week I was hearing oh I was listening back I was catching up on uh, Punching Cardboard and they were saying about Lisboa and how much they enjoy it and it just made me think more and more it's in my pile it's let me see about the sixth game down in my pile to play. So it's coming. It's definitely coming. Anyway, why didn't it get played? The game was just too expensive, sure. And it was over £100 for a euro. And I managed to get it on a deal for £62, which is still expensive for a game. And when I got it, it's not like it had to be that expensive because there's not that many bits in there. Now, there is a lot of bits in there, but they all could have been a bit smaller and a bit less thick, and it wouldn't really affect it. It would still have been a nice production. I almost feel like they deliberately inflated as much as possible in order to attempt to justify the huge price tag. And I think that's put a lot of people off playing it, which is why it hasn't got such a wide exposure as you might expect from a game that's getting almost universal praise. So I'm glad I hung on and I got a copy discounted, or that still felt expensive. That'll be why it didn't get to my table earlier. And I think that's why it's keeping off a lot of people's tables, because it's just it's inaccessible. For, for the man on the street. Yeah, for what it is, right, 100%, yeah. 
we were seeing it discounted down to £90 and people being quite proud of that discount. And like, what? I'm going to buy two other Euro games for that price. So, yeah, it's definitely on my list, Rowan. And when you do crack that bad boy out, I would like to be part of that. You're always part of me, Sean. <laughs> Even when you don't want me to be. In my heart. <laughs> okay, so I had a few here. Uh, I've gone with one over, over the others. but So I'm going to run through some of the ones that just missed out that I haven't quite managed to play. Now, the first one, I believe you managed to play a prototype at an Essen years gone by, Ronan. It's transatlantic. Yeah, weren't all that. <laughs> you get, you're basing it on the prototype. No, it didn't change anything, no? Yeah, I read the rule book. I know it's just subjective reading the rule book, and nothing had changed enough for me to think, oh, yeah, that's changed my mind. It was too, the ships went through too quickly. There was nothing I was really invested in, haha, in an investment game. So mm, it, was a, it was a pass for me. Uh, it's, it's Matt Gertz. I, I own the game. I bought it back for Natalie. We haven't quite managed to get round to it, but it's it's definitely on the list. Now, one that Natalie just recently bought in the UK Games Expo, and I know some fantastic fellow bought for you, and you've shown your ignorance by not playing it, is Anachrony, Ronan. It's getting rave reviews, and I'm quite desperate to play it. It looks fantastic. Yeah, one of my random cousins bought it for me. I'm not that impressed with him, to be honest with you. If I look, that is about three games below Lisboa in my to play pile. I actually put it underneath the games that I was supposed to video for pit stops, and it was my reward for getting there. And unfortunately, as we've said before, the pit stops kind of took off a bit, and we keep getting more games to pit stop, so I'm never getting around to it. I might have to rejig the system a bit to get to some of the games down the bottom that I really want to play. It's, it's not working. It's a, it's a Sisyphean task. Sisyphean task. Sisyphean task. Hmm. He's gone. He, we've broken him, people. Uh, some enchanted evening. What? You will see us today in Wild. My last one is a game I know that you you got in on a sale on Facebook just before I ripped my comment. You ninjured me, Rodan. It's the expanse. I am smooth and I am swift and I am silent and it's mine. Boom. Thank you, Tom. So yeah, definitely a big fan of the, the books and the TV series and it's obviously Jeff Engelstein, who's a very accomplished designer. So very, very interested to try And the season has been saved after the very weird decision to cancel it. Surely it's one of the... You just hear the buzz around it growing and growing and growing. Why were they cancelling it? It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, it's been saved, so that's good. That's the main thing. That's the main thing. So, yes, The Expanse, uh, another one you have to include me when you get around to playing, Ronan. Yeah. Right, so... Is this your actual choice now? Because you've taken about 20 minutes talking about your choices. (laughs) My actual choice is Heaven and Ale from Spiel and Pegasus Spiel, designed by Michael Kiesling and Andrea Schmidt. It is a economy, Euro game, very Euro, very economy. I've heard likes of Puria, who's always, oh, I didn't really like it. Ah, he said it was quite good. So for, for Puria, that's an, uh, a glowing recommendation. It wasn't a, mm, yeah, it was fine. Yeah, it was okay. It was slightly elevated above okay. It was, wow. It was quite good. Quite I enjoyed something. it. So, yeah. So, I'm going off that. I'm basically... Puria was jumping up and down about it. As jumping <laughs> up and down as he gets. He's written songs. It was on my radar before Essen. Never got round to giving it a go or even picking it up. And it's you can't get it for love nor money now. 
So I am waiting for the reprint to come out, Ronan, and I'm all over Heaven and Ale. Uh, and I will be all over it with you. Absolutely. It's one of those themes. I don't know, this whole brewing and monks thing that just puts me off. Have you got any themes that are just weirdly like that where you look at it and you go, I just don't want to play it. I just I haven't got any. Yeah. But there's loads of good buzz around everyone else. So definitely interested in playing it. But like, I have World War II games. I never, I was looking at Black Orchestra and everyone's saying it's a good game. I just the theme, I don't know. It just didn't, there's no reason. I like history, I like reading about World War II, but. Uh. For me, it's that kind of a manga esque game. Oh, like yeah. Cross, Crossmaster and. Millennium Blades, go on, yeah. go on. Go on. <laughs> Millennium Blades. I just can't get my head around. I, I don't, I'm not fussed about that theme and it puts me off games, even though a lot of people say, oh, they're fantastic. But yeah, it just happens, doesn't it? There's yeah. certain themes you're like, eh. Anyway, Heaven and Hell, good choice, Sean. I mean, you know, obviously you've got 20 choices in there and it's supposed to be one, but it's sure. <laughs> Right, so we are going to move on to the big one in just a few moments. Let's do this, Sean. The top 10 of 2017. I'm going to hit you with number 10, and I'm shocked, surprised, appalled, and dismayed that this is not on your list. I was kind of guaranteed it would have been there. It's Bunny Kingdom. I love drafting. I love the interaction on the board. The scroll cards can sometimes feel very powerful. The scoring system, I think, is not perfect because it can be a little static. Once you got into a couple of rounds, you're like, well, that's my best area. It's got access to all the resources. There's not too much I can do there, which is when you have to start trying to exploit the scroll cards in order to keep some interest for yourself. But there is, in terms of speed of play, in terms of length of play, in terms of the amount of thinking and interaction, it's been a hit for me can't believe you didn't include it my number 10 bunny kingdom it was on the short list of about 20 games that i drew up and i do like the take that aspect i do like the the drafting i love draft and yeah just slightly random sometimes you have games where you just see nothing and it's a bit irritating but you can i suppose you can still mess with people it's still a very good game probably just outside my top 10 We've only got two crossovers, by the way. I well, know. In the it's whole crazy. lot. It's crazy. Only two games. Yeah, anyway. I think I mentioned that earlier. Your number 10, Sean. My number 10, I had to fling in at the last minute. It was my number 11 after I realised that one of my games was 2018. Oh, you're making it feel bad now. No, like it was a- no. Sorry. Sorry, Ethnos from Asterian Press and... Cool mini or not. And designed, yeah. designed by Paolo Mori. It's the area control game where you're collecting sets of different type of creature. The creatures rotate in what in what's available to you in any given game. I just really like the the snappiness of the game. It's, it's very quick. It's very intuitive. You can get right into it. And there are still meaningful decisions. Uh, I like Ethnos, Ronan. It's a good game. The top decking issue is what held it back from being top 10 because I understand you can have frustration times where you're just ticking over. I think there should be a minimum size to the market of two or something like that. It's just my standard fix for any game which you have to top deck. But I'd say it's close to my top 20. I said there were 25, 30 games I was considering just outside top 20 for me, Ethnos. Very good. Right, what's your number nine, Ronan? 
My number nine is Time of Crisis, the GMT Roman game in the third century in which you are vying over a sort of a broken empire and your different houses and you're trying to build yourself and establish a legacy. The theme I absolutely adore. Bit of a fan of Roman history and culture and what have you. I've been to Rome a couple of times and all the rest of it. It's got very simple deck building options. There are nine cards you can buy. They're always the same. What it's done with those simple deck options by adding the map and adding the interaction is there is lots and lots of strategic depth. And not just in your first play, but as you play more and more games, more strategies will emerge. You'll react to the strategies other players have developed for themselves. You will always be looking for opportunities. However, the reason I don't say tactical or say strategic is because you will be setting up in that deck, a very simple deck building, what strategies are valid to you. You must have a long-term plan. You will not be very flexible in terms of reacting to tactical situations and leaping in, but you can do it now and then. It's got the great thing of someone becomes emperor and they're just clinging onto power for as long as possible, knowing they are going to get knocked out. But if they can eke out one more turn, it might be the difference between victory and defeat, glory and being thrown into a sewer, Sean. Everything you do affects all the other players. It does not feel dry at all, despite the fact of the apparent dryness. Time of crisis, my number nine. Mwah. Beautiful. It's one of those ones that I think if I'd have managed to get a, a very substantial amount of playing done of, it would certainly feature around my top ten. I've only played it a couple of times before when we were reviewing it, and yeah, I found it a bit frustrating because obviously yourself have played it more than me, and I felt like I was never really competing. And like there was another player that we that got into the emperor position, and they were kind of getting themselves into a lead that we couldn't. Yeah, but that's a short game issue. Yeah, that, a, yeah when you're playing and learning, game, that's right, you, yeah. once everyone knows that you have to play the longer game because that's when you get the backwards of yeah, of emperor, yeah. and it's not just first grab is going to win. Yeah, so it's short game, no, but I, I could see enough in it to make me think, yeah, you know what? Let me play that ten times, and I bet I've completely seen a completely different game. So yeah, good choice, man. Number nine, my time of crisis. Your number nine, Sean. My number nine was one that could well have slipped into the uh, not in my wheelhouse section, Ronan, because it's not the type of game that I normally enjoy. It's 878 Vikings Invasions of England. Uh, Bo Beckett, Dave Kimmel and Jeff Stahl Academy Games is coming from. It's the quintessential dudes on a map game based on the Vikings Invasions of England. And one or two player takes on the Vikings and one or two player takes on the English forces in the various kingdoms. And yeah, the Vikings invade, try and take as much of England as possible and the English try to repel them. The cards are quite clever. There's lots of two in and throw in. The Vikings always come in these huge hordes and they feel like they're just overrunning, which I suppose they did feel like. And the English, they've constantly got that trickle of reinforcements coming and it's real to and fro battle. I've had some really good games this road. Uh, not least the one we played with Ben Osteen and Steph at Aircon. I thought that was a really, really good time. The one that we didn't get the rules exactly right. Glossing over <laughs> that. This, another one that was close. You've chosen a lot of games that were just outside my top 10. It seems that we always do that every year. But anyway, I do think that it needs the Viking Age expansion for variety. Because having played it five or six times, games are not that different. 
to each other. Once I've explored that, and obviously I'm going to need players that have also played it a few times, not always easy to do in today's age of ephemeral gaming experiences, then I think it could rise. It's top 20 at the moment with potential. Very good. So that was 878 Vikings Invasions of England. Ronan, your number eight is probably the game on your list and this whole episode that I most want to play. Wow. It's Parley, the very small release from Turkish company. It's a pirate game. This game was so far under the radar, I didn't pick it for under the radar because I thought at least give people a game that they'll be able to get hold of, flatline, go and get it. It's a really good dice rolling co-op. Parlay, it's going to be very difficult to get hold of. I hope it's at the next Essen. The Kickstarter that was planned never happened. I'm not sure what's going on. They're not the best at communicating, but that's all right because they've designed a really nice game. It's a perfect mix of social deduction and tactics everyone is a pirate who's secretly working for one of the six powers in the game each round mostly there's going to be battles over it's just an abstracted board it's the mediterranean but it's just hexes that connect to each other three of the powers will be on each side of each battle and the side that wins those three powers put their counters in the hex where the battle was and you're attempting to create chains and areas of the same color of the power that you are part of without anyone finding out because if people find out what power you are they can blackmail you and it is very very punishing so you have to be a bit subtle the battles are decided by card play mostly face down they can be forced to be face up cards can get thrown away there are a few special power cards like that in the deck but few enough that when they happen they're unusual and unexpected and that was a great design choice when to reveal your hand versus when to grab those vp opportunities everything is player driven it's not perfectly smooth It is very much a rough diamond. I think with a good developer, it could be a massive hit, but it is a fantastic game, and that's Parlay, my number eight. Yeah, from from afar, I've not played this one, as as I said. It kind of almost has that Spartacus feel to to, to me, where you've got the framework of the game, but a lot of it's the interaction between the people and the chatting and the the table chat and the tricking and the backstabbing, and that's what I kind of see coming through on this one, and that's what I'm really looking forward to, Ronan. So, yeah, I'd really like to get a game of Parlay soon. I like the Spartacus comparison. Yes, a lot of that into it, but very much smoother gameplay and much shorter time frame as well and everything a bit more under the table and backstabby and grabbing opportunities so yeah my number eight parlay sean well my number eight uh i think it's primarily there because i think it was quite a bad year for me personally i didn't get to play any really good euro games that archetypal like you're you're a merchant and stuff like that and this one sits right in there and i think it's a very strong game it's from our friend fabio lapano and from adc blackfire it's kalimala you're a cloth merchant and you're gathering resources you're sailing across europe you're delivering things you're you've got this an area control thing going on you've got secret scoring where you're trying to secretly get into your area to score points at the end of the game i just thought it was a very clever well done euro game with a very very strong mechanism in where you lay your your worker essentially and it stacks on top of others and and it triggers the ones under it as well so Kalimala was was a pretty obvious choice for me should we rinse and repeat on this being in my top 20 <laughs> yeah just outside a great package fantastic game for its time frame meaningful decisions your decisions impact on other players I will have my one little gripe since it's not my top 10 I think you should be able to hand in two action cards to take any action because you can just be unlucky 
you in your draw and that can mess you up in a tight game but a very strong choice and a very strong game and looking forward Fabio's got a couple more designs floating around maybe for Essen this year and I'll certainly have my eye on them so great job Fabio really good game Sean good choice cool and uh, draw number seven it was floating around my top 20 I hope so because you mentioned it earlier mm-hmm. and it's got to have been in so many top 10 lists of 2017 it is Azul it's that abstract tile drafting and laying into your pattern game it works with two three or four players it's got a little subtle amount of meanness in there much more so with two player by the way there's a constantly shifting table state you need to be aware of you really can only blame your own choices when things go wrong most of the time how much of a risk taker are you you must take risks in order to score the biggest points however if you take the risk it might open opportunities for everyone else to hate draft you and put you in a difficult position I prefer the tougher variant where in that left holding area of tiles you can only ever have one row of each color that will really mess you up really adds in more negative points and i think if you've played a lot of azul that's the way to play it because it mixes it up and it'll have you thinking again this is the breakout hit from this year in hobby gaming it's a classic design it is already selling by the bucket it's going to continue to and when people look back on 2017 as all will be the game that they will mention yes absolutely was uh your, your variant was that was that not a product of you misreading the rule book then misreading or <laughs> the designer within me taking out well the the <laughs> plan b games themselves said that they prefer that variant so what can i say okay. unpublished genius so as all yeah it was just outside my top 10 like it was oh, it was it was that or ethnos and and sagrada they were the three that were hovering around that sort of 10 11 12 mark I wanted to make sure I gave it a mention, which I did in terms of it's not type of games in my wheelhouse, but the fact that I really enjoy it still shows what a strong game it is. And I don't think anyone, any game's given me quite such tactile pleasure as rifling your fingers through that bag of tiles, run, and it, it, it's therapeutic. You keep your fingers out of bags, Sean. That's what gets <laughs> you in trouble. Okay, my number seven is Azul. Very good. So my number seven is Near and Far. I was always going to have at least one Loudcat game around, wasn't I? And Red Raven games. Near and Far, for me, is the game that I wanted Above and Below to be. So it's, it's, it's very much the successor to Above and Below in that there's a Euro game going on where you're collecting resources to go and do things and move around. And there's a storytelling element in there as well where you're going to paragraphs in a the, in the book and you're reacting to what the story says. Now... Where above and below, where the actual game itself felt a little bit too lightweight and didn't really pack the punch and it was almost over before it began, uh, certainly for myself and Ronan, Near and Far has improved on that. And the Eura game on its own is strong enough to hold up. And then you add in the storytelling and then you add in almost like this legacy thing where you're going around the map and you're playing different scenarios and characters that you meet come back and revisit you and it changes the way things happen. And we're just, we're just into our journey. I think this one would be a lot higher if we'd got further down sort of the journey of this game. But so far, it's proving to be way better than above and below. Do you know what my pet hate is? What's your pet hate, Ronan? People that promise things and never fulfil them. I know, I promise you that this was going to be our game. I know, I know. I'm, I am mindful. It has never darkened my doorstep, crossed my threshold, or even been to see I'll me. I'll tell you what, as we record this, I'm going to your house tomorrow. I will bring it, I will leave it with you so you can get familiar with the base game, and then we will start.
I'll leave it with me to learn the rules again, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going on holiday, so go away. It's not coming with me. I'm gagging to play it. Stop talking about it. You're upsetting me. (laughs) Right, okay. Let's stop talking about it. What's your number six, Ronan? My number six is Civilization: A New Dawn, the Fantasy Flight Games take on Sid Meier's Civilization computer game series. Well... When you think Fancy Flight Games and you think they're doing an IP, you expect a certain direction and they flip a doozled on us and went very much in an unexpected direction. Yes, still lovely pieces and lovely artwork and all the rest of the production values they always have, but they abstracted it, but at a slight angle. And in fact, an abstraction that the more I play, the more I think this is less abstract, that this whole influence tokens and flipping them over and having them defend each other and fortify actually does really well reproduce the idea that your borderlands are less defended and your heartland is better defended and the fact that as you go through the game the actual land that people hold is less important militarily you can kind of do faraway strikes and oh anyway one of the things i really love about civ new door i mentioned it for time of crisis it's definitely got evolving strategies and that if you're playing it for a fifth time, you'll probably be a newcomer. Tenth time, probably be fifth time, and all the rest of it. And you learn more, and the game develops, and you discover more within the system as you play it. It's got incredible replayability value in terms of that. That every game, I'm discovering something new. I'm discovering how to use the powers of the different nations in new ways, and combo them with wonders, and combo them with my actions, and build my technology deck slightly differently. And I'm always doing something different. No two games are the same. I would say when you're playing it, use the four goal rule because the three goal is just for a learning game. If you've done that once, then move on and get to where you have to get four goals. Or in fact, my favorite alternative is where you have the goal cards laid out plus one for the number of players. And each of the two goals in each card can only be claimed by one person. And that will stop you all getting down a certain route and being stuck and having a victor decided quite early on in the process, if that's ever happened to you. This is good for many, many plays. An unexpected direction. I think it took people off guard in some ways, but definitely one to stick with because it's a grower, Civilization and New Dawn. So for me, Ronan, this one... To piggyback on what you said, it's in comparison to the uh, former fantasy flight game, Sid Meier's Civilization, the board game, that one was more immediately appealing. I felt more in tune with Civilization, but that one just didn't have any legs at all. What this one provides is those legs. Yeah, it doesn't immediately appeal because you do kind of get yourself hemmed in and you do have to work your way around thinking you feel hard done by it. But then you realise there are ways around this. And that that key mechanism in where your cards are moving up and down, they give you the powers to do things and becoming more powerful and less powerful. I think that is a very interesting mechanism on which to build and that is rife for intelligent expansion and I think it's a good choice. I haven't played it enough to, to really say it should be in my top 10, but... I'll, I'll say it for you. It should be in your top 10. No, because I haven't played it enough. I've just said that. No, no, it should. No, no. That'd be rude. No, no, it should. <laughs> it's just outside my top 10, but we're going to be saying that all episode, I think. We probably are. Number six for me, Civilization and New Dawn. Sean, you've gone in a different direction in an upside downy tumbly way i have ronan and it's one that kind of surprised me at how high it was on my list when i finalized it 
It's Maple Circus from Cedric Millet and Matago Games. And essentially, it's a circus stacking game, dexterity game, where you're stacking meeples up to a timer. And there is a bit more to it than that. You're picking cards and you're picking your components to match certain aspects that will score you points. But it's a game I play with my son and my wife, and we all have an absolute blast playing it. I'm reliably informed that it's a fantastic drinking game when you've had a few cups, and playing this is absolutely hilarious. So, yeah, it's not the strongest set of mechanisms. It's it's been done before in various guises, but I think what it does bring is a lot of fun, and I got into games to have fun. So there you go, Meeple Circus, Roland. It surprised me too, Sean. Surprised me that it's on your list. Go on. It's really boring. Uh, you're, you are just a miserable curmudgeon. <laughs> it's too static. Half of your whole game is set in the first five minutes. You do the initial draft of your pieces. Those are the same pieces that are going to form the foundation of the three stacks you have to make. Yes, you're going to get a couple more bits each round, but fundamentally... The decisions are so front-loaded in the first five minutes. There you go. Those are your bits. The goals don't change enough, so you're just creating very similar stacks every time, which is fine. I don't mind a stacking game, but the game is drawn out over 30, 40 minutes when all I'm doing is making three stacks of little meeples. There's just not enough gameplay in there. I was disappointed. You are just a misery. The game that we played when you came around to our house and we played... There was definitely a lack of rotation in the, in the target cards because we were so close and there was no person that was behind. So, therefore, the cards weren't being rotated. But it's only one card between a stack. Yeah, it's right? one card. Change. So, three cards in total will change, but that, that changes it up a little bit. It can, it can stop. But, but even if that goal changes, I've still got the same bits. There's only so much I can do. There's only so much you can do, but and it, it's... I think the last round adds that little bit of comedic fun in there when you have to do it in a funny voice or is there somewhere you have to do it standing on one foot and somebody you have to use the, your wrong hand, some that you have to For, name forced, the animals. Forced comedy, mate. No, forced no, no. You, you're, just, you're just a misery. You're not, you're not going to like this game because you're a misery. It's gimmicky. It's like, oh, I added your funny voice. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. My son loves it. I love playing it. And Meeple Circus, my number six. So boo sucks to you. Go on, what's your number five? If I was five, it might have made my top ten as well. I can understand that. I can understand the pleasure of playing it with your son. My five is one of the only two crossovers, so I'm not going to say it's a secret. My five is the other of the two crossovers, so I'm not going to say. (laughs) All right, we'll do those two later, shall we, when they crop up on the other person's list. My number four, and I think Sean's going to give me a kick in here, (laughs) is Codenames Duet. Oh, why, why am I going to give you a kicking run? I thought you would think that this was a bit of a funny choice this high up in the top 10. No. Because it's just a take. No? Oh, okay. I thought it was a contender for your number one, to be honest, because you really, oh. really enjoy this game. And I know you do. So. Oh, fair enough. All right. Sean's not going to kick me. That's pleasant. <laughs> it's Codenames Duet, by the way. So, yeah, it's it's a take on Codenames. It's cooperative. It's meant for two-player. You can play with more than that on teams, but it's designed to be two-player. It's perfect for Rachel and I to play because we both play code names. We love it. I think we're okay at it. Yeah, we're pretty good. So we're quite quick when we're thinking and we come up with our clues quite quickly and our guesses quite quickly. So 
now I, I almost said the worst part of Conan's it's not the worst part because it is the whole game and I certainly would never like to think that I was putting pressure on anyone else to hurry but you know sometimes in Conan's you are sitting there waiting for people to come up and it can be difficult and that's fine and it's okay it's part of the shared experience but this gives us an option in which the two of us can play and play at our own pace and play really quickly and we do play it really quickly and okay so maybe we're not playing it as fantastically accurately as we could do if we were going a bit slower and really considering everything. But for us, that payoff is not worth it. So we're quite happy to play quickly. And it's such a clever way to make it into a cooperative. And the mix of cards, the fact that there are now three assassin cards, but for the three assassin cards for the other person, one will be a correct answer for you. So you can see three assassin cards, but one of them is correct. So you can have to guess them, but one of them is neutral and one of them is a shared assassin. So anytime you're guessing one of those three, then you're taking a risk, but you have to do it in order to win the game. That just is a, such a good little design choice that adds a bit of tension to it. The fact that off the nine clues, you each have to get three of them are shared, so you can help take out options for each other. It's just he's done it really fantastically well. Constant mental action is really challenging, even to win the base game. And then from there, there's got this sort of very simple world map, alleged campaign system. I mean, it's just different ways of going where you have fewer chances answers to get things wrong or fewer clues to give a fewer rounds and it mixes it up and makes it more challenging and you can say I've done that we've done this we've done this we've done that I love it we've played it I think over 30 times now as I said we're going on holiday shortly it's coming on the ship with us we will be playing it many more times so my number four is Codenames Duet I think I could almost guarantee this being in my top 10 if I had managed the game of it Roland so, oh, have you not played it? No, I own it, and I just never got around to playing it. But, oh, uh, I thought you I'm had. Quite excited That's maybe why I thought you were going to have a go at me, because it wasn't in your top ten, and I thought you'd played it. So I presumed that you had something <laughs> vaguely against it. No, nah, not at all, not at all. I'm sure it's going to be fantastic, and it sounds right up my alley, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't say that very often. <laughs> not really. So my number four has been mentioned before in the episode by Ronan. It's Fallout. From Fantasy Flight Games, Nathan Fisher and Nathan Hayek. It's flawed. Yes, we've talked about it being flawed. And yet it's still in my top five. Why? Because of the storytelling. The world it builds. The gameplay is actually a lot of fun. It flows quite quickly. And it just really does transfer me into those Fallout computer games, which I love. So for for me, it, it kind of just had to be in my top five. I really enjoyed all my games of Fallout and I'm enjoying exploring and fixing some of the problems that Fantasy Fire have created. <laughs> so I did speak about it. At the end of the day, when considering it, this was probably the hardest game for me to, to settle on. And as we all know, these top 10s are fluid and top 20s and the games will grow up and down as you get more plays in and different game experiences. But for now, for us making the decision, it was the hardest one for me to peg and say that's definitely where Fallout belongs because it's got such good things about it, but it also has those lows and those obvious flaws, and I kind of go up and down. In the end, I'd have said it was top 15, which is actually a letdown because it had the potential to be top five, as was Sean. It just needed a better way of resolution, slightly more thinking about the end game, and a slightly more coherent structure overall while still allowing that freedom to explore and so i can totally understand it being number four sean on a different day it could have been my number four but when it came down to it because of that 
just disappointment in in the uh, in game flaws or the you know the way you could win. It just missed out my top ten. So that was Fallout. Now, Ronan, your number three is a game that I would definitely have had. I think because I have played a little bit of it, but not enough to put it in my top ten. What is it? Have you have you jumped on board, Ronan? I have jumped on board. It arrived. Oh, when was it? Probably oh, about six weeks ago. It's arrived uh, already. Oh, yeah. The, well, the base set because yeah. the Kickstarter was for the expansion, so I'm still waiting for all the the fluff and the extras. But the base set has arrived, and I, I, I'm waiting to get that patch of time because I don't I don't want to start it and then leave it for three weeks and have to kind of almost relearn it again. And shall we shall we tell them what it is? By the way, I thought you said it. Sorry, no, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> it's Seventh Continent. Carry on, Sean. So, seventh <laughs> continent, indeed. Rodan's number three choice. If we, if you, you just carry on talking that. about it. You answer for me. It's fine. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so I don't want, I don't want to jump in and out of it, so to speak. I want to get that sort of quality time frame, maybe on holiday or something. Bring it with us and just crack five, six, ten, fifteen games out in in quite near succession. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you to task on that before I go any further. I know it's got a safe, safe system and all that. No, no. I, I actually think, to me, that's the wrong way of playing it. It's a dip in and out game, as far as I'm concerned. It's so different. It's addictive. It is a time sink. When you're playing it, you want to turn over another card and another card and another card. I've written down here, with an exclamation mark, do not rush it. Don't get tempted to. Now, you mentioned earlier about reviews and people reviewing too quickly with City of Kings, which we keep referring back to exactly the same happened seventh continent as far as i'm concerned the first week it was available people were coming out going oh, i played this game for 18 hours this weekend oh we did two 14 hour sessions over the weekend i've played the whole lot and let me tell you it gets boring yeah if i played any game for 28 hours over a weekend i definitely get bored you don't need to rush it it's an at your own pace exploration it is very much the journey, not the destination. If you fail in the curse, you can go back and take a different route. If you succeed, amazing. I f- you can go down little rabbit holes. You go, oh, I wonder what that is. Oh, that lake, and I found that bottle, and what's inside it? Oh, it's a message. Oh, I'm running low on food. Ah, it doesn't matter. I'm going to crack on and see what happens to this message. Oh, I died. Never mind. I'll reset to whatever point I want to reset to. I don't have to go back and play that first island again. I've played that first island personally like eight times. Because yeah, you know, I was teaching people when we had it originally and all the rest of it. I, I don't need to do that. I just go, here's my gear, and here we go. And I'll start playing from a bit that's fun for me. And that's where I, and then I'll explore the system again. Playing it that quickly, I think, is crazy. Because it is just flipping over a card, looking what's in there, reacting to it, deciding to go left, go right, up or down. That's all there is. Trying to get some food, find some fire, cook it up. It's not going to stand up to these 18-hour sessions because it is repetitive, but it's slightly different and it's exploring and it's enjoying what you're exploring. And there's so much content in there. And that's how I play it. And I find it to be really relaxing. I find it to be funny in a way that I'm laughing at what my choice is or what's happening to me. And I'm not getting frustrated that going down or running out of food or, or chasing a leopard wasting so much of my life there can then realise when I get there and actually you can't really eat much of a leopard so how am I going to get back and I'll laugh at myself and go you're on an island in the middle of nowhere why did you start following the tracks of a leopard what do you think you were going to find nothing that's what you found things like that so I'll say to you crack it open man 
play through a few tiles, save it. It's good for 15 minutes, it's good for two hours, but don't get into this stress of having to discover it all in one go. There's so much game there. Enjoy the journey. Well, that's me told, isn't it? <laughs> that's a little... I'll kick that soapbox out of the way now. I thought I'd got rid of it after the pandemic. You've not had a bar of that, have you? I'm not having it. I'm not, don't you dare play this 15 times quickly. How dare you? How very dare you? (laughs) I'll tell you how to play your game. (laughs) (laughs) So my number three, after Ronan's seventh continent, is This War of Mine. Now, it's a little bit controversial because of the subject matter. It's quite hard-hitting. It's set in a war based around Sarajevo, so very definitely Eastern Europe, and... A lot of the scenarios in it are taken directly from from witnesses and people that these things have happened to. And it can be very, very hard-hitting. As I said, people will die, people will commit suicide, children will die, animals will die, you'll have to eat animals, and people will attack you, and it's, it's it beats you over the head with this realistic narrative that's going on the whole time. I have it as my number three game. I just got so immersed. Yeah, it was depressing at times, but I just felt the storyline was amazing. It really transported me to to what must those poor people be thinking in this war situation. And I think it's highlighted the terrors of war. I think it's done it in a really sort of understanding way. And I think it's a masterpiece of design it might not be the best board game out there but it's a masterpiece of design and storytelling that's this war of mine so what held this back is i don't want to play it again because it's an experience to me and not necessarily a game and that if i were to play more i would start gaming the system and start attempting to win, if you like, or get further, or have an idea what was coming up, and be like, oh, no, he's prioritised this, prioritised that, I'll let that one go. And I'd stop playing it on the emotional level, which the first couple of plays demanded of me. And I don't think I want to get there. So I need to give it a break, and maybe come back next year, the year after, wherever it might be, to then experience it with the full range of emotions again. I almost don't want to cheapen those first couple of experiences by turning it into sort of a standard gaming experience where, oh, yeah, we know this, we know that, we need to do this, it's all about resource gathering and all the rest of it. So for me, that's why it didn't make my top 10 because it's not a top 10 game, but it would be a top 10 gaming experience. Now, of course, that's semantics. That's just the way I came down on it this time around. I'm going to take you to task, Brennan. Yes. I distinctly remember you, Lloyd and Jacob, singing the Venger Boys, the Venger Bus, <laughs> while we were playing this. The Venger Boys are coming. <laughs> but that was in keeping with what we were doing. We were laughing because we were making so much noise and we kept getting in trouble and we were mocking our own choices of pretty sure we should be making this much noise. Well, once you're at the top of the sound scale, well, what does that mean? Well, I presume it means we're driving around in a bus playing Venger Boys. <laughs> It was still in keeping with the game. Of what Did we you have doing. to sing it for half an hour straight? I can't believe there's ever a day goes by that you don't sing it for half an hour straight. <laughs> okay. You go to San Francisco at every kind of disco. Oh, dear. My number three joy is this war of mine. Finishing on a Venga Boys. <laughs> Finishing <laughs> on a Venga Boys song. Brilliant. Seems there's something's gone wrong there. Right, here we go. I'm battening down the hatches. 
I'm putting up my defences and I'm allowing my heart not to get wounded because my number two is Magic Maze. So fun. So funny. So tense. So challenging. Oh. <laughs> it's the real-time puzzle game in which each person has only got one aspect they can do, be it move the four adventures in a certain direction or move them up and down escalators or portal them or, or explore the new tiles, wherever it may be. Everyone's just got a limited role, so you must work together. Absolutely force cooperation. Everyone else is relying on you. There's enough noise going on the board and movement that it can get confusing, and all you have to do is look to see if any of these meeple need to move upwards on the board, and you can't work that out because there's so much going on. You need to hype yourself up. You need to get focused. It's like going into to it's a sport, to a game of rugby or into a boxing sparring and going like, right, this is what we need to do. This is how we're going to do it. And then boom, press go and enjoy that ride. Stay on top of the frustration. Don't let it get to you. There is so much in the system literally to explore in that every time you master, there's a new challenge coming up. The maximum security expansion added crazy, crazy levels of difficulty, which if you can do those, you are I take my hat off and bow down to you. I have played this 45 times so far, Sean. Magic Maze is my number two, and it is glorious. I'm just quite glad it's not your number one. I was sure this was going to be your number one, so at least at least it's faded a little bit for you. Or has it faded or has something else really risen crazy? Whatever, it's your number two. It's not number one. I don't have to sit here aghast talking about your number one being Magic Maze. It is... I wouldn't even say it's that frustrating. It's the most irritating game I've ever played. And it's like every time they add a level, ooh, what's going to be more irritating than that? I know! Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> soon, soon, I swear there's going to be a level soon in a future expansion where someone pokes you in the eye as you play. Poke. Poke. I really hurt. Stop. Poke. Poke. No, no, you really... You, my eye's hanging out now. Poke. Poke. Sometimes, you. sometimes in life, you've got to step up to the challenge. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to step up, face your demons, and make it happen. This is the moment. Magic Maze is the moment. I will say, I will say that the tendency for people to use that red reminder dobber is that is evil. And it should be used very much sparsely. I would like to think that I've improved as a human being over my 45 plays, and I very rarely use it anymore i will ding it a lot if we're getting close to running out of time and that i I try and make it the only time i touch that red thing anymore because i understand it can be annoying what makes people think that you've handed them the red dobber right so they everyone knows including that person most of all that person that they've got a move that they need to take that have to happen before anybody else can do their thing and it has to it must do that everyone knows that what in anyone's mind makes the banging that on the table ding 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 is going to make that person think any clearer and help them to make that decision that you want them to make ding 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 oh that's helping you think thanks for that keep that up because that's a sign that people are invested in the game and they want to get on and they want to do it and they feel the time pressure and they just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Just, just, just if you just, I've got, just, I need to need you to do one thing. Just if you just one, just move it. But you can't talk. But even that, that's not helpful. What's not? 
you say, you say, oh, yeah, come on, yeah, come on, you can do it. Yeah, go. No, that's not helpful. You've got to step I, You up. need to do something before I can do something. Now I'm going to leave you to think about it. We don't have time. The guards are coming. We've but got to get out of the But you're elongating their thinking process by irritating them. You need to go get your CV in and become Miss Daisy's chauffeur. we got to crack on here, son. This is high <laughs> stakes, high risk. you got to get in the team, get your mind focused, and get this done. It's not a horrible game, but it's a very irritating experience. What did our rugby captain used to say to us? Heads in the fridge, hearts on fire. Let's do this. That's not the only thing he used to say to us, but none of it else is broadcast. None of it is, so. no, we're not putting out. <laughs> right, let's move on. Right, my number two is Lords of Hellas, designed by Adam Kapwinski and Awaken Realms. It's coming from. I know it's a it's upsetting for you, Ronan. Second mention of the game you don't yet have, but Lords of Hellas is a area control game, as we've talked about. Now, the reason that I particularly like this game is that there are multiple routes to victory, and each of them. Oh, they're all very, very level in terms of achievability. So you can you can raise a uh, statue and create a statue. You can kill monsters. You can take over areas and etc. It's all achievable. You can change mid game. You don't not locked into one path. It's very interactive. It looks beautiful. The miniatures are beautiful. It has a wonderful table presence. People stop and go, "Wow, what the hell is that?" People talk like, "Come and talk." And can I can I lift that up? And what the hell ass is that? What the hell ass is that? Well done. You've, you've done it. So. Lords of Hellas, my number two, really enjoyed it. And it's, it always comes, I don't know if it's, it's built into the mechanics or it's, it's cleverly done or it's just been luck, but every game I've played of this, it's just come right down to the wire. Like, I could have won the not, next time. Not that time that you forgot there was an area on the board. I was only one monster away from winning not, that game I and I, I just forgot that you that had some of the board all. existed. Do you remember that? That some of it existed, that's why. That was really good. I yeah, like that yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. That was my best play. <laughs> it's also my only me, play. You made me think that some of the board didn't exist. Well done. Uh, that was I, I hid it in my head shadow. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to stop that. We've talked about this. It's a very hard thing to stop. Okay, I affect tides with this thing. Lots <laughs> of hellas. I've only played it once. Therefore, I must reserve judgment. I can say that that one play was very promising clearly got lovely bits i love the theme as sean does i i think it could be very clever but until i play more times and fully explore how that very ambitious system of, of interlocking with the heroes and the monsters and the area control and the building the monuments until i've played that more obviously i have to reserve judgment so promising for me for lords of hellas but unable to judge fully Okay, so Ronan, your number one was my number five. And it has also been mentioned previously, and I tried not to gush too much in gameplay direction for Mythic Battles Pantheon. So I've already chosen it as my best production of the year. That, I hope, you know, would not be enough for it to be my top game of the year. Just great looks, get you nowhere, without a stellar personality, just again like you, Sean. The total package. You are the Lex Luthor of gaming. Not sh- quite sure I know how to respond to that, but thank you. That's, that's all right. That's okay. If it's getting a bit creepy, then you just just let me go with it. I'm very tired. I've been on night shifts. <laughs> so about the game of the year 2017 for me. Anyway, Mythic Battles Pantheon. The fact that 
when you're drafting together your units, you're creating these incredible combos. The fact that you have to react to what the other person has when they draft. So you can see, okay, they've got that. I might need to counter that or I need to be aware of it. Oh, Sean's got the Hydra. Maybe if I get some fast and some ranged units, that means I can't get, that have to get so close to it so it can't do its area attack. Oh, the Minotaurs there, they like to be me to be grouped together i need to think about that or get a counter to the minotaur so that when they pile in i pile in with this one obviously the more you get to know the units the more you have to think about that the different scenarios that come with it meaning that you know you have all hero teams or monsters versus heroes or cooperative or a little mini campaign and you're building up from there all give you different ways of thinking the system is simple flexible and robust clearly it's got the whole toy factor to it it's little boys getting out their figures and fighting with them at the end of the day that's what you're doing but they are the best little boy toys or big boy toys i have ever seen in a game the fact that the effects and the powers for each of the units are thematic and the minotaur does charge and take people out and zeus does throw bolts of lightning on occasion and hades does reap the souls of the dead and you can go onwards and onwards heracles can pick up bits of columns and trees and fire them across the place and medusa can really irritatingly sure can freeze all of your units in an area and it goes on every single one they've done does something thematic it's up again right now on Kickstarter, probably going to be finished by the time you hear this, I'd imagine. I have only got the base box and the Pandora's box. When I say only, that is years of gaming in that base pledge. I have put in £10 on the second Kickstarter to have to delay the decision about how much more I'm going to buy, because I am going to buy some more. There's no doubt I am in love with this system. What I buy, I'm not sure. I'm not going all in. But please, please, Ryan, don't go all in. Mythic Battles Ragnarok is on Horizon. It's going to be kickstarted in 2019 with a Norse theme. I've mentioned twice I'm going on holiday. I'm going to Norway and Denmark and Finland and uh, way, way back. That's where our family comes from. A Norse theme. <laughs> As if I couldn't be more excited. They've got to have done that to me. It works at two player. It works at three player. I'm not sure about four player. Might be too much downtime. Maybe teams work. I've got ambitions to set up a round-robin one-day competition in which you draft your initial team and then maybe we have some sort of transfer system or new units become available between rounds and you can mix it up or you can swap units with people. I've got all these sorts of ideas, maybe even an auction for units once everyone gets to know it. So many ideas for Mythic Battles Pantheon and that's testament to the fact that the system works so beautifully. It doesn't hang around an hour to an hour and a half for each game of it. Very quick to set up and get going. It's just better than I could have expected. Sean, I have gushed for not nearly long enough, but I will bring myself to a halt. Right, and it was my number five. It would be higher if I'd played it a little bit more. I think I've played two or three games, but what it does is generate stories, and it generates stories that we still talk about. Like, I still think about that Aircon game that myself, yourself, and Sam Hoffman had. And if anything, even though I lost that game, it showed me that you can plan things in this game. It's not just random. You can set up traps. You can sort of deflect people. You can use a bit of table talk as in, the, in those three-player games. And you could have a, a definite plan. And it's not just a slap fest. So, yes, it looks absolutely beautiful. Can't wait for the Norse-themed ones to come through. And, of course, 
I'm I'm on board with a with a pledge on on that Kickstarter. I'm not quite all in. I'm trying to convince you to do that first. And yeah, long long way may we play Mythic Battles Pantheon Random. Sean, it's very easy for games like this, which such high production values coming from Kickstarter, to be dismissed by certain elements of gaming, saying, "Oh, it's just toys. You know, there's no game to it. We don't know anything about it." This one flips that, defies that stereotype, and gives you the solid gameplay with the amazing looks. Like I said, it's the Lex Luthor of gaming, Mythic Battles Pantheon. Very good. And my game, which was Ronan's number five, was also a huge Kickstarter success. It's Gloomhaven is my 2017 best game. Isaac Childress coming from Cephalophir Games, and Gloomhaven is... Well, what what is it? <laughs> it's kind of a a role playing game, dungeon crawler, and puzzle game, all wrapped into one with legacy aspects. That's what Gloomhaven essentially is. Now, why do I love it so much? It's just it's so sprawling. There's so much to do. Every decision that you make in that game has repercussions. The cards are, are multifaceted. You, you use it for one thing, you can't use it for the other. You're bringing cards into your hand. You're developing a character by doing that. You're chaining together things with other people. It becomes more, as we've talked about in the past, when you do sort of realise, actually, if we work together, it's going to be better, then it becomes a, a really competent co-op. Isaac Childress is some kind of genius because to pull all the facets of this game together is taken at what can only be a genius. It's a huge undertaking. I may never finish the game in my lifetime, but I certainly am going to aim to, and I'm certainly going to enjoy the process, and I'm yet to meet the person who hasn't enjoyed playing it with me. So, Gloomhaven, Ronan. Yeah, it was my number five, Sean. I like your fit of originality in making Gloomhaven Game of the Year for 2017. <laughs> I, I literally, I, I thought, you know what, everyone's going to have it. It's going to be, the, it's definitely going to be the Dice Tower number one. It's definitely going to, it's been the number one in various other things. Is the number one on BGG? Yeah, it's the number one on BGG. But I just looked at it and I like gives me giving me everything. It's given me those head scratching moments. It's given me that beautiful game moments it's given me those stories that you you talk about it's given me fun it's given me everything i crave in the game it is fantastically good it's more ambitious than i thought you could get in one box i love the combos and the working together and working out how the different characters work together as sam often said it's like the x-men when Colossus learns to pick up Wolverine and throw him into battle, they suddenly realise together they are stronger. I've only got seven plays of it in, which is not much for this game, and I still need to get completely familiar with the system. I'm still getting tripped up on rules and having to check things out. The reason it wasn't number one, there's two things. Firstly, I'm always aware that I'm in a system, and I'm always having to solve a puzzle, so thematically i am never that much into it i have never really felt like my character although every character is very different and very cleverly designed and i do still love this game it's my number five i've never sort of been immersed in which right i am doing what i need to do in this scenario i'm always solving a puzzle so that's the own that's one of the things and the second thing and it has to be set up now i know it kind of seems like a ridiculous thing a game that takes 45 minutes to set up 
that's 45 minutes of my precious gaming time I'm not playing a game. And I have to think about that and I have to say, well, is it worth it? Because I'm setting up for 45 minutes. I'm then going to play the scenario, which I need to allot. It might not take a full three hours, but I need to allot three hours for. And then it's going to take me half an hour to break it down. So any time I want to play the game, I have to have more than four hours set aside for it. In the game itself, but in each individual scenario, I'm not having the epic experience that four hours would suggest. It's actually usually quite tight. It's three, four, five, six rooms with a few monsters in that we're defeating. It's a great process. I'm enjoying it. It takes a long time. And that is the thing that stops it from being my number one. I agree with you, Ronan, on this setup. I do think it's a massive undertaking to find all the bits you need and put them all in place and find everything, get everything ready and set up. But I do think the inserts, certain inserts, the broken token, uh, meeple reality, their inserts certainly help with the setup because they, they bunch everything together. It's very easy to find things and they all come out. You don't even have to take them out. They sit around the table in the boxes that are within the box itself, if you like. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It is a bit of an undertaking. Now, I, I do feel like my character, though. I do feel like if I'm like the crag and I'm a bit of a tank, I, I do feel like I think the cards are very very thematic in they do things that that character would do. I do feel like the tinkerer plays me- like me- tinkerer. Mechanically, mechanically, yeah. they but do I, play I, I like get, it. Yeah, I get involved, though. So the maybe experience, that's just... I'm, I'm like... Well, that's, it's, I think that's a personal thing. I think yeah. you haven't been able to do that. Maybe the game hasn't given you enough to do that. But I think possibly, like things, remember when we used to, it's another Gloom game, but Gloom, whereas I used to like, let my imagination fly and I used to really enjoy Gloom and playing it, even though with adults. Whereas you were, uh, well, you know what? It was a game for you and your girls. Can't believe you've mentioned Gloom with Gloom. <laughs> now, now it's become my number one, just to make up for that. <laughs> so... I think, yeah, maybe... I'm, what I'm saying is you're, you're, you've just got no imagination. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Or maybe the game forces you to constantly solve a puzzle, so I'm not allowed to let loose. It constrains me. Maybe, maybe that. Maybe, or maybe you're wrong. Anyway, Gloomhaven <laughs> was the best game of 2017 for me. Mythic Battles Pantheon was Ronan's best game of 2017. And we will see you in the outro. Sean, we've done it. 2017 can finally be laid to rest and everyone can get on with their time and enjoy 2018. This is this is what they've been waiting for. There's a collective few emanating from around the world, Ronan. A few? Really? <laughs> thank a God, PH few? Thank God we finally know what the Game Pit Boys' <laughs> choices for 2017 are. They've probably been holding their money back and now they realise what well, those are the games to get and avoid, I'm sure. Sean... We are sailing into uncharted waters. We, I don't know what's coming next from us. Well, you're literally sailing into waters anyway. Maybe, maybe well. not so much uncharted. But <laughs> that's, as, that's true. As you said, so you're I'm, off on a cruise. Uh, very much looking forward to it. There are many games to be played on the cruise. Uh, I'm trying to kind of use it as a bridging gap towards talking Rachel into the Dice Tower cruise one day. <laughs> that's kind of like a dream I'm aiming towards. But uh, the flights down there might be a bit expensive. We'll see, we'll see. <laughs> so, yeah, I would imagine when you come back, we'll try and get some uh, games played. We do still have some stuff that we had played that we maybe need need a refresher just to rework the old memory 
to do a picking over the bones and in addition to the picking over the bones we have got a guest lined up for another vault episode we should be getting that moving as soon as Ronan gets back from his trips and if he hasn't done anything too bad and doesn't get arrested again I have looked into what happens if you if you can't get back on your cruise ship when it's in port for the day and uh, it turns out you do have to fly at your own expense to the next port I was I was just no reason I was no just reason why I did no 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 it's not fine detention or anything no no I can't see that happening or me getting stuck in a pub and realising at half ten the ship has sailed I don't, I don't imagine that it's not even possible unheard of impossible <laughs> <laughs> anyway we've kept these people for long enough Sean thank you so much for your contribution thank you Ronan thank you everyone for joining us and we'll catch you next time on the Game Pit absolutely and as always we're very proud members of the Dice Tower Network go there and the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore if you wish to download our episodes we're on Podbean's iTunes and Stitcher if you wish to contact us we're on the Game Pit Podcast at gmail.com or you can simply pop along to Board Game Geek and we have a guild there we're on social media we have a Facebook account we are on Twitter at Game Pit Podcast and we also have an Instagram account we are have our YouTube channel where Ronan and occasionally me works very hard to get the pit stop videos out for games and overview on games just to see if you like them and occasional coverage of conventions too. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next time. Music by E. Bye-bye.